Welcome, everybody, to Pinfalls Retro, a new show that we're doing. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be a, a retrospective of uh, certain pay-per-views from any given time over the uh, course of history. Uh, I am, of course, who else but Tommy else. And with me, as always, is the man on the beat from johngsbeat.com. Mr. John Robleski. How are you, Tommy? I'm good, bud. How are you doing? Good. This is an excellent idea. I, I give you kudos. You came up with the idea to uh, take pinfalls into a new direction, another direction, I should say. We're going to still maintain the old pinfalls, but we're going to do these on occasion, too. I like the idea. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, there's certain pay-per-views that stick out in my head that I just remember like, you know, that, that they nailed that one, you know, or, or, or it had a memorable, you know, match in it or something like that. And, uh, when, uh, we're in August right now and, uh, SummerSlam has already taken place, but, uh, it did make me reminisce a little about past SummerSlams and, uh, to this day, I believe my favorite SummerSlam was the one from 2002 with the uh, headlining match of Brock versus The Rock for the uh, uh, Undisputed Heavyweight Championship. And uh, the card is just fantastic. Um, it was a good time in the WWE, uh, generally speaking. Um, so we're going to get into that and we're going to talk about that show. Yeah, a stacked card. I love the card. I like the idea. So let's let's jump into it. Go ahead, sir. All right. So this is right around the time that they did the brand split. Uh, so now we've got exclusive rosters for Raw and SmackDown. And uh, this was, I this might have been the first one that they did as like a co-branded one because they were doing like Raw pay-per-view, then a SmackDown pay-per-view. Or you know what? Actually, I don't think they were doing that yet. They started them off together, but what they did was is they had the separate announced team. So Michael yeah. Cole and Taz were calling SmackDown, good old JR and the King called Raw. So um, just to kind of help set the scene a little bit here. Um, one thing I noticed, and this is something that is it, it always bugs me uh, with the, the they did at this pay per view, is uh, they've got the hard cam at uh at three o'clock and usually it's at nine o'clock so like if you're looking overhead at the uh arena if the entrance way is 12 okay hard cam is or no i'm sorry i'm back i got it backwards hard cam is usually at three o'clock like where you and i were sitting last right. time we went to raw yeah. and it was behind it was behind it's behind us or no 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 it's on the other side facing us right right so Anyway, back then, I don't see them do it nearly, nearly as much anymore, but back then, every once in a while, I would notice that there must have been some logistical reason or why, you know, they did it, but they would have it on the other side. So the entrance ramp is, you know, going out to the right rather than seeing it coming in from the left. Just and why does that bother you? I don't know. I just, I can't, I can't get used to it. It just seems like I'm... It's because it's so rare that it happens that it just I it's so noticeable I can't stop thinking about it and it just it just bugs me. So let's say they switched it all the time and it was that way now all the then, time. 
then would you be okay with it? Are you just, do you just I would probably like get switch? I would probably get used to it at some point. Yeah. But I mean, it's just, I'm so used to it being the other way that it just, I don't know. It's a creature of habit. I'm not saying it makes sense, but all right. Well, all that aside, let's get to the first match. We've got a big one right out of the gates here. Kurt Angle, the American hero versus Rey Mysterio in his pay-per-view debut match in uh, the WWE. He had just come to the company recently and they threw him right in there with Angle. And uh, um, it was exciting. I remember Mysterio coming on the scene uh, and it being a, a real big deal. And, you know, they really, they hyped it up for weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, that he was coming. And uh, I wasn't as familiar with him at the time because I was still relatively new to watching wrestling at this time. So, um, so for me, it was very exciting. And one of my close friends was a big Kurt Angle fan. And so, we kind of like had our guys picked and so it was fun to watch that one. Well, imagine that Kurt Angle in the first match of a pay-per-view. Like I know when pay-per-views are loaded with great matches, it's not like it's a dark match or a lead on, you know, a throwaway match, but still Kurt Angle in the first match. I, you can't get well, Kurt, Angle and, Kurt Angle and Rey Mysterio too. I mean, well, I, yeah, but Mysterio was just coming in. Theoretically, I know he wrestled elsewhere before, but yeah. theoretically, kind of a rookie in that. Yeah. WWE. No, Angle was definitely you know established at this point for sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, and uh, you know, we're not going to go blow for blow. You know what happens in the match and everything. You know, but um. I will say uh, one thing I did not like was uh, Angle's singlet. Yeah, It was like this candy cane looking singlet, you know, and it just, it was the one thing that took away from the match because the match was fantastic, you know, but it was just like and Mysterio's gear was cool and he looked awesome and the SummerSlam set looked awesome and, you know, everything was cool and he was wearing like the ugliest, like singlet I've ever seen him wear, you know. <laughs> so you, I, I know, like on the indie scene, but like on the WWE scene, how much input do the wrestlers have in, in terms of that? Is it one hundred percent them? Do they, or is it like 50-50? Does WWE go? No, no, that's not going to work. I believe I, you know, I don't know what the rules were back then, but best I can tell these days, they more or less let the wrestlers make the call on the gear uh they're the ones paying for it and getting it made up and everything um i'm sure creative has some design stuff sometimes they you know like i i suppose it would depend on your character you know i mean like if you're you know the fiend you know well, gonna, <laughs> well yeah you can't come out in a rainbow or <laughs> right then they're gonna you know hold you to certain you know things and 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 everything so and I'm sure that they helped create the mask that he wore and all that sort of stuff, you know, uh, you know, but like someone say like Liv Morgan or something like that probably has a lot more give and can just, you know, make up her own stuff. So it's my, it's my guess. Um, it went so long, nine, nine, over nine minutes, close to nine and a half minutes, which was, I, I thought was interesting to start the, the show off with that long of a match. I know it's not incredibly long by really old school standards, but to go close to 10 minutes for an opening yeah, match, yeah, you sure? I thought it was pretty good. 
uh, we had referee Jimmy Corderas uh, officiating this this contest. Um, I thought it was important to to mention uh, the refs because if you look at all the refs in this, it is basically the who's who of professional referees in in pro wrestling. I mean, they they pretty much have everybody here th- this night, and as you know, having been on the inside of a wrestling company before the whole thing is a family and that includes the referees and the the announce the announce position and and you know creative and everybody i mean so it's it's important i think to make mention of the refs because they are part of this of the scene that we're trying to set here you know this is what helped make this pay-per-view great was you know we had top-notch referees working on this thing um so it was very pace uh very fast-paced match um they did get a holy shit chant at one point so i mean like you said first match of the night i mean that's i mean if you can i the, the most important matches are supposed to be the first match and the main event because the first match gets the show going and then your main event is you want to send them home happy you know so if you can get the crowd riled up into a holy shit chant in the first match, you know, we're off to a good start. No, I, I will say this. I, I like Ravens. I always like Kurt Angle. You know, the guy's a Hall of Famer without question. I like Ray Mysterio. Um, I didn't like Ray Mysterio when they put him against guys like the big show because I can't suspend my belief that much. I thought going against Angle was good because it, they're close enough in size, close enough in ability. The one thing I hate about Ray Mysterio, though, I thought the 619 was about as bad of a, a finisher, as bad of a move. It almost ranks right up there with the people's elbow. You know, <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, like, you know, you go through all the things in the match. And, oh, he just happens to fall I don't think it's as bad as the people's elbow. I mean, yeah. he just happens to fall on the ropes perfectly. And then Ray could do his 619. I don't know. It, it just it looks so set up and so phony. Well, I want him to have a better move. He's a better, better wrestler than that. He has, but see, okay, all right. You know, there are times where the setup is just a little too obvious. I mean, where the guy clearly trips and falls. If, if, and then the he guy, stays there. Right. If he ends up in that position on his own, I don't think that makes sense. However, I've seen Ray do like a drop toll hold where the guy falls into the rope. And, and then stays there. And then I guess, I mean. You know, you know you're fighting Ray. You know you're on the ropes. You dive out of it. Even you. Well, some people that. do. Some people get out of the way. It's not like he's hit every six one nine he's ever tried. You know, percentage wise, he's hit the majority. I, I just, I think it's. I, I hate that move. You're the. I, I. You think you're the first person I've ever heard say they didn't like the six one nine. Well, I get. I understand. I understand what you're saying, but that's just pro wrestling. I mean, that's just. I mean, no, but it's not pro wrestling. It's 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 like bad indie wrestling where we're gonna set this move up. Okay, well, gonna be when 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 Shawn Michaels starts tuning up the band, the guy's just like you know slowly getting up and waiting to turn around, yeah, and then he I sets know, that up. But you, okay, but that the guy doesn't know. Maybe Sean's going to hit him with a, a anything. That he knows what he's going. He never stomps his foot in the corner unless he's going to kick you in the head. He doesn't. He doesn't do a fake well, out. But it's not as badly and as fully set up as the six one nine. That's right. my beat. All right. Well, we're not going to dwell on this. And Kurt Angle should know better than that. <laughs> 
Well, Kurt Angle comes into this vowing to break the ankle of uh, Rey Mysterio. Um, now, one thing that uh, Mysterio has in his advantage in this uh, scenario here is he, you know, the, with the ankle lock, the best way to get out of it is to roll underneath him, you know, and then you know reverse it. But it's tough for like a normal sized person to do, you know, to get down that low and be able to to do that. It does invariably throw him forward too. the momentum of right. doing that. Uh, but Ray had a big advantage being so small in this and that it did help him get out of the ankle lock several times. Um, however, at the very end, he was uh, angle really locked it in there, uh, worked it hard. And then just when Ray was getting close to the ropes, angle dragged him out to the middle and just was, you know, yanking on it. And then that was it. And Ray tapped out. I was uh, at, you know, had I been making a prediction at the time, I would have thought uh, Mysterio was going to win that match. Oh, no way. No way. Not his debut, not against Angle. I thought that was the perfect way to do it. No, I, 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 I'm happy with one little thing, Kanji. I'm happy with the way that it went. But I think back then, and I was still, well, I remember I was also relatively new to watching wrestling, though, too. So, like, I didn't quite have. Like today, I I might have looked at it differently, but back then that was that was just what was going on. That's well, I'm giving myself the retro point. One nothing, John. We're not starting retro points, okay? This I is am. Not, this is not going to become a thing. Yeah. Well, good for you. All right, you you do that. Um, but an excellent match. Yes, yeah, an excellent match, and um, just a great kickoff to the show. Exactly. So, uh. During this time, you know, so now that we do have Raw and SmackDown split up, you they did this to, you know, create like a rivalry, a battle of the uh, brands between the two of them. Uh, so we've got uh, leading each show, we've got uh, Eric Bischoff in charge of Raw and uh, Stephanie McMahon in charge of SmackDown. A face and, Stephanie McMahon. Yes. And uh, uh, since this was the first time that the uh, the two brands had uh, shared a pay per view, uh, they uh, they find themselves having to share an office, and so we get a little backstage shot of them, and you know some very bad dialogue from Eric Bischoff and from Steph. I mean, it was really really poor, cringeworthy. I, yeah, it was like it was like you know. A couple of fifth graders pretending to do wrestling you know promo or something like that you know it was bad i think something like that is better left for the shows and not the pay-per-view i don't right. want to see any of that I, I shouldn't say none of that if you're going to do stuff make it really quick just and, and to the point and have a reason behind it not just to entertain people so you know theoretically which it didn't do anyway this was going to be a recurring thing, though, throughout the night where they were going to be checking in with them backstage to see, like, you know, how the, the mood was between the two of them as the as the night progressed and everything. You know, as there was only one interpromotional match, so there was really no bragging rights on the line beyond that. But, Which really means there's no point in doing all that stuff. Right. I mean, it's just like, it was like they would, so like that first match was uh, was a SmackDown match. And so, you know, Stephanie, you know, can brag about that one. That's the kind of entertainment you'll find on SmackDown. 
I mean, that was really the best that either one of them can say about any of the yeah. matches, you know. So it was, it was not to waste of pay per view time. Yeah, it wasn't adding anything to the show. So I, I will go further and say it detracts from the show. But once we get past that, now we move on to match number two with my guy, Y2J, Chris Jericho versus the legendary 16-time world champion, Ric Flair. Woo! Uh, Wait, no, they didn't do that. Uh, no, you know what's weird before we get into it? You know what's weird is it's not exact, but it's close. Jericho now, I believe, is the same age as Flair was then. Yeah, you know, uh, I he was, uh, I wrote it down, he was 52 years old. So Jericho's probably pretty close. That's know? weird. <laughs> I yeah. said it was, and Flair obviously just had his re- uh, 15th retirement match, um, whether yeah. he stays retired or not, but it's, he's it's like, 73. He's 73, yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, even back then, did we think that we'd see Ric Flair wrestling for another 20 years? And will we see Chris Jericho wrestle for another 20 years? I don't know, man. Uh, I, I, you know, he's done it for so long, but I mean, so did Flair. So I don't know. But, I mean, I think as long as he can keep finding ways to reinvent himself and keep it fresh and fun and his body holds up, you know, I mean, he's that guy is all things considered, given his career, not had that many injuries. You know, he's never been out for, you know, like a torn quad or a broken neck or anything like that. I mean, he's he's done very well, you know, with keeping himself together. So, But that's you know. a good point, too, though, because, um, you know, about keeping it fresh and everything. And arguably, Ric Flair is one of the greatest of all time. However, his act really didn't change a whole lot, especially over the last, 30 years no he was always rick he was always rick flair jericho you know every couple of years you know will become just an entirely different version of himself and he got with a big moveset yeah oh yeah yeah no he'll change up the moves and everything right so yeah you're absolutely right so i was a fan of this uh rivalry um I wasn't at the time a big fan of Ric Flair. I, again, I was still new to watching wrestling. I just didn't really get what the big deal was about (laughs) him and everything. Um, And, uh, but one of the things I loved was in the lead up to this, uh, Jericho's band Fozzie played live on Monday Night Raw. And uh, I was already a fan of Jericho. And then when I had found out that he had a band, I I went out, I got the CD right away. And uh and I I just thought it was I thought it was hysterical because I've listened to Fozzie and to me it just sounds like him when he's cutting a, <laughs> he sounds like he's cutting a promo. I mean it's just if you've ever heard him yell at somebody and call him a stupid idiot in the ring, that's the same voice he sings with. It's just him yelling, you know. But I'll, I mean, I've been to a Fozzie concert, and uh, I will say it was a good show. I mean, it was good. It was fun, and you can tell he really likes to perform. They're not a, they're not the greatest band in the world to me or anything, but I, and it's I, they're not necessarily in my style of music either. But it was fun to see Chris Jericho going up there and you know rock out with a band though. So you know, and it was a relatively small place, so. I give him credit for doing it. I give him credit for obviously attaining a certain level of success doing it. Not my type of music, but I could appreciate 
the talent that he has. Yeah. So part of this, part of why I bring it up is yes, they play it on Rob, but then Ric Flair comes out at the end of the song and he trashes the, uh, the set. I mean, I mean like all of the instruments, the amps, everything. And those were all legit. I mean, like, they, I mean, like they couldn't have played what they did without those right. things. And he smashed those guitars and destroyed everything. And he put holes in the amps. And, and I mean, it was, he's like jumping up and down on the guitars and stuff. It was pretty funny. And that was, that was when I started, well, that was when Flair started winning me over. Cause it was really, you know, he, he just, he seemed like a silly old guy to me. So, so his 16 title reigns or 21 title reigns didn't do it for you. His legendary career didn't do it for you. I but really didn't know a lot about, I mean, I knew that he was the 16 time champion and everything, but it just, it, I, I didn't, I was literally about a year into watching wrestling at this right. point. And Flair had just, you know, he had, when he first came in was, was doing the, the, you know, brand split or the, the sharing the company with, uh, with Vince. So he wasn't wrestling then, you know, it's like, the, this was like, he's just starting to wrestle again around this time. So I'm like, just starting to see him in the ring and appreciate what he does in there. You know, it was just, I was new. All right. Uh, one thing I've noticed that's always been another, uh, problem I've had with, um, this particular era. And, and I know no, most notably with flair, is they don't have the rights to the 2001 Space Odyssey song that he comes out to as his signature entrance music. So when you watch these old pay-per-views, they dub over it this, it this song, and the song that they use is just terrible. It's just bad. I mean, it's like, give them anything but, you know, that, basically. Yes. It just it, I, uh, it drives me nuts every time. I can tell there's certain songs that they didn't have licensing to because I remember, you know, there being, like, a very specific band that played, you know, right. you know somebody's entrance theme or something like that, but they don't have the, the long-term licensing for it, so they have to dub over some generic stuff, and it's just, ugh, I can't, I can't stand it. Uh, this was uh, uh, Ric Flair's first appearance at SummerSlam. Uh, he had never uh, wrestled. That surprised me. Yeah, I, I would have thought back in the day yeah, when he was yeah. around the first time. Now, all things considered, I thought Flair looked like he was in pretty good shape for this one. You he know? looked about what he usually does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was never for, for, for 52, I mean, you know, he had abs, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, he had a little loose skin, but I mean, you know, other than that, he was in pretty damn good shape, and so was Jericho, for that matter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but Jericho uh, was like 32 at the time. Yeah, 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 no, but this is Jericho, you know, but I'm painting the picture. I mean, like, at the time, yeah, you're not, we're looking at, like, a, a young a young buck here, man. I mean, like, yeah, yeah he is he is ready to go. Uh, we have uh, none other than uh, uh, Charles Robinson. Little Nate, of course. Little, yeah, Little Nate is officiating this uh, this contest. Um, Jericho, uh, they mentioned a fun fact that Jericho was two years old when Flair had his first professional match. Wow. So, this, so that is the age discrepancy between the two of these. Um, and, uh, so it, well, they get into the match and Flair just basically chops 
the hell out of Chris Jericho for the entire match. I mean, he might've hit him with like a couple other moves, but other than that, I mean, but I, they, they were Ric Flair chops. I mean, they were cracking every time he hit him, but man, Jericho must've taken like 50 chops in that match. Yeah, and see, I, Ordinarily I would say like that was boring. And I just did the same, but for some reason it worked for me because it, it could be part of the psychology that, Flair just wanted to beat the hell out of uh, Jericho's chest, knock him, you know, take the wind out of him, bruise yeah. him up. Well, I don't know that you've ever taken a chop before, but it it. Not I did only... from a, a late wrestler who we shall not name. Oh, gotcha. Um, so yeah, but it it uh, it not only can sting and and uh, you know leave a nice big red mark, but it does knock the the air out of you. You know, if yes. it's hit, if it's hit in the right spot, so. I mean, to be just sitting in the corner and him target your chest and just keep one after another after another. And it was like, you know, then he like Irish whip him into the corner and then go over there and then just do it again in the other corner. You know, I mean, it was just, you know, an easy match to work, you know, don't have to think about much. <laughs> but it's, it really did seem like the, the plan and not just that, not just like Flair has a limited moveset. It seemed like, you know, like they always do. No, because he is capable of yeah. body part. Yeah, yeah. It's not like he doesn't. He's not like he doesn't know what he's doing by any means. I mean, he is Ric Flair, you know. But no, it was, it was intentional. But I just, you know, I just know from having, you know, taken, taken some chops before that, you know, a few are fine. You know, you you'll live. But if Ric Flair slapping the shit out of your chest for the entire, you know, ten minutes and twenty two seconds. Oh yeah, that's a that's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, well, when it was said and done, uh, Flair uh, in classic uh, Ric Flair fashion, dirtiest player in the game, hits a low blow on uh, poor Y two J at the end of the match and is able to uh, secure the victory. So, uh, with the figure four, with the figure four, yeah, I love the whole. I love the figure four, and it it is legitimately can break your leg oh yeah it is a legit hold yeah i mean you if you've ever been in it it would take very little really to just lock that in and you know break snap somebody's it. snap someone's leg easily yeah. all right moving on to match number three latino heat eddie guerrero versus edge uh very uh very interesting uh matchup uh, to have these two going up against each other. Um, at the time, Edge was coming out to Rob Zombie's song, uh, Never Gonna Stop Me. And uh, that I actually liked when he when he started, when he switched to that song. Uh, I was a little disappointed when they got rid of it, but I guess it, you know, I guess it aged out. Um, apparently, the backstory on the match is that this is somehow based out of jealousy for one another. Um, I never got like the full story as to really why they had jealousy issues or whatever. But was Vicky Guerrero involved in this? No, no, Vicky she didn't really. No, she, she wasn't didn't. around for a few more years. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, he was out for a month. Edge was out for a month uh, with a shoulder injury uh, prior to this match, and uh, so once they get this match going, they naturally uh, Eddie basically targets the, the the shoulder i love so, that 
yeah, you pick a body part and you work it. And uh, and when you know it's when somebody has an injury, that's that's where you go. And you that's know? so it. It's it, and it's nice because it just kind of writes itself, you know. Um, well, it makes sense. I I like when when the match storytelling makes sense, and this made yeah. total sense. Yeah. Um, we uh we were uh having the match officiated by a young Brian Hebner, uh, who was still uh working his way up in the uh in the referee scene, but son of uh, senior referee Earl Hebner. So refing is in his blood and, uh, and he's still out there now, I believe, isn't he? You think he's with AEW or something? I believe so. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not AEW, you know, but yeah. yeah, either them or impact or something. So um, one of the things I noticed was just Eddie was, he's so natural in his movements and uh, with, with edge, like they just, Every everything he did made sense. It just like it was very deliberate. It made again like he you know going after the shoulder. Like he 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 went after the shoulder, but he found about fifteen different ways to do it. You yes. know, it's not like he just going and just keeps punching him in the shoulder or something like that. Or you know, I mean, like he'd put him in stretches and holds, and he'd you know whip him into the corner, and he'd you know he'd find ways to just keep doing it. And he did, and he looked like he wasn't thinking about what do I do next or anything. It was just like a pit bull just going after him. And he's like, okay, now I'm going to do this. Now I'm going to do this, you know? And Very just, fluid. Yeah. Uh, and just, I thought it just, it's been a while since I saw Eddie Guerrero, you know, work in the match. I haven't seen a, a match with him in a long time. And, uh, and I just saw that and I'm just like, yep, yep. That's why he was awesome. I'm like, he's, he was the man. Edge was uh, really just starting to come into his own at this point. I mean, he had been around a long time, and he certainly had made his name with the TLC matches and stuff like that when he was tagging with Christian. But he was still, you know, as a singles guy, I think he might have been like a year, year and a half or so into being in the singles. And he was doing fine, but, I mean, just hadn't really taken off just yet, you know. Yeah, he didn't Um, Anywhere near the level that he he eventually would reach. I at the time I wouldn't have thought he would get to where he is now. Nor did I. You know, but um, but no, he eventually became the man. You know, I mean, I was, uh, and I was glad. I was, I was, I thought that was very cool to see. So I thought he'd have a nice career. I thought he'd have a long career as long as he wanted it. Um, I didn't think he would would achieve like super superstar status. You know, I thought he would just be kind of a second right. tier guy. Right. Uh, who won this one? Um, Edge did with the spear. Edge wins with the spear. That's right. Well, the spear into a pinfall. Yes. Yeah. At uh, uh, when it almost twelve minutes, eleven fifty, which I thought was was again a nice a nice time for a match. There, yeah. There's no quickies on this one. No, no, they you know, and they're all roughly around the same. Yeah, you're looking at like you know nine to you know fourteen minutes or something like that. You know that's pretty close you know so and they weren't trying there, wasn't. yeah that, that i feel like they were the right amount of time yeah. needed for and that's one thing i can say about all the matches on this i feel like they none of them went longer than they should have or felt a, well we'll get to it but i had a couple that that i thought could have been clipped a little okay um so at this time uh this is when the mlb is uh is going into strike 
and uh, the, the, there was a player strike in baseball. So WWE decides to jump all over this and they start running commercials about how more or less that they're better because their season never ends and they don't go on strike. And so they run one of these because it's not that they're not considered a, 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 a pastime contract disputes don't determine the outcome of their season negotiations are handled a little differently in this arena uh when two sides here have a problem it's taken care of face to face yeah that those were their those were their claims which you can see through some of the lies there contracts do determine some of the things oh they absolutely do <laughs> yeah yeah but it just doesn't shut down the whole company though either no. you know it no. shuts down maybe a person but that's that's it um then we get a backstage promo with good old Jonathan Coachman. Coach. The coach talking to the un-Americans. Hated it. A terrible stable. <laughs> Hated them. Dumb. It was so horrible name. So boring. It was so boring. It was just, and it was such a a weak attempt at getting heat, you know. Bingoism. Yeah, we hate America. You know, <laughs> everybody and everybody besides America hates America. You know, yeah. I mean, was was their argument as well. Um, so we've got in the un-Americans, it's uh Lance Storm, uh Christian and Test. Lance Storm and Christian uh holding the uh the tag titles. Uh and uh so they are up against uh the team of booker t and gold dust love love this team who on the other side of things is a team that is just absolutely beloved i mean like this this was a huge huge turning point for me with gold dust i wasn't sure what to make of him when he first came back uh and uh because he had come back after being gone for a while, and his first bat match back was a no way out against RVD. And uh, so I wasn't sure about this guy at first. And then some of the best stuff that I from that time were the two of them and their backstage promos. I mean, Goldust, try, he, had, he was courting Booker T and, like, trying to get Booker T to be his tag team partner and that they would make a great tag team. It's one of the, you know, one of these scenarios where he's, you know, it seems like an unlikely tag team, but you know, this guy just feels like it's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It can work. You know, it's almost like one of your favorite teams, RK bro, where you had, you know, Riddle yeah. had a, had a talk, he had a talk. No, no, into no, no. Don't compare Goldust and, and, Booker T to that horrible Just saying from, from the approach side of things. But well, anyway, what, do you think, he, what do you think the point was of initially? And we know that they went off to great success. But initially when, when WWF put them together, mm -hmm. do you think that there was just, well, let's throw these two guys. Let's give them a storyline. I think it was, a. I think they were spitballing. Yeah. I think it was just a shot and just be like, let's see what happens. You know, and they kind of hit a, goal. It's an, un, so it's an un, yeah, it's an unlikely tag team rarely do does that work but it's just you try it out a little bit and the thing was is that the two of them both have good comedic chemistry with each other especially in their characters you know so um you know 
gold dust, of course, creeps everybody out. So I love, gold dust. I love Dustin Ronalds, Rhodes, whichever you want to call him. I loved him from day one. I thought he was vastly underrated, and it's so cool now, at least, to see him getting a lot of respect. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, you know, so he creeps everybody out. But then so but the way, you know, Booker T would, re you know, react to it and everything, you know, and, he, you know, he was so funny. Um, and then, uh, you know, eventually Goldust wears him down and they become a tag team. And now they start chasing the gold. And it, they chased it for a long time before they finally get it. But that was the, the slow build. Um, but here we are in a situation where they are getting a chance at the... Uh, at the uh, tag team championships. Um, we've got, uh, let's see here. Tag titles are on the line. We've got referee Nick Patrick. Nick Patrick. Officiating this one. Uh, uh, he, he came over from WCW when they, uh, when they bought them out. And uh, that was his entrance into WWE. Uh, the match, you know, it was a good, it was a good match. It was a fun match. Uh, Lance Storm uh, takes out the ref at some point and test interferes uh, on Americans end up going over in this, uh, unfortunately, to the dismay of, of everybody. But again, this is, I think, part of the slow build for Booker T and Goldust. I mean, they, they it, it, the match wasn't bad. It was a good match. Right. Um, it's they're they're not because the because Lance Storm and Christian are both great wrestlers and in, in particular I think Lance Storm. Yes. Uh I did have the pleasure of attending a Lance Storm seminar and getting to work with him in the ring. Uh it was Lance and me and uh three other guys. And we were there for three hours and super cool guy and uh very uh willing to talk about anything you know and and give advice on stuff and uh you know incredibly incredibly smart he and jericho came up together and, and training together and, and everything so um one thing i i want to mention again before moving on one of my favorite gimmicks gold dust had and i think it started when he was with booker uh but i think it might have spilled over until after they split up he at one point got electrocuted. <laughs> yes. And then he had like this uncontrollable like stutter. And well, didn't they it wasn't weren't they saying like Tourette's or basically, yeah. It was basically, yeah, it was basically Tourette's, but um, you know, it was it was clean. Uh, but it it was one of the funniest damn things. I thought it was great. It was it was absolutely hysterical. I think what happened was he was attacked by evolution, and I think he got they threw him into something that they like, threw him into the electrical board. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's what it was. Yeah. And then so and then they and then of course like a bunch of bullies would make fun of him for you know his his you know new speech pattern and everything. So, but that I just that was that was cold. It was great. So. No, hey, I always again. I uh, Dustin Runnels was always one of my favorite characters. They, you know, it's so funny because early on, the, the complaint against him was he's got no personality. He had a ton of personality, it, it seems. Oh yeah, no, I, I, and he's good, and he's good in the ring too. The only thing I ever, I my, my, the only thing with him I never could understand was how he wrestled in that suit. Man, I just don't. Yeah. 
I mean, that thing just looks like the worst thing to have to carry out a match. And I just would never want to wear something full bodied like that. Yeah, like I, mylar. I mean, just, I don't care what it's made out of. I mean, I just, I, even if it was cotton, I wouldn't want to wear it, you know? So at the time, uh, this is 2002, uh, WWE had a, a kind of a themed restaurant in Times Square in New York. Um, and uh, what they would do is they would show the pay-per-views, of course, at this place. And usually at pay-per-views, uh, they would have a live camera there to show everybody who was there. And then they'd send out like, a, you know, a wrestler or a star or somebody or whatever to, you know, kind of report it in on like, you know, everybody out here in New York is loving the show and they're having a great summer slam. And, you know, they, you know, they're drinking a beer and they're having fun and, um, so at the time we had, uh, Nydia and Jamie Noble on the loose in the uh. WWE. Uh, I loved Jamie Noble. I'm Jamie Noble boy. I loved that. Nydia just absolutely grossed me out. I just, was, both of them could have disappeared and I would not have cared. I, I just was not, you know, it was interesting because she was, uh, one of the two winners from the very first Tough Enough, right? Her and Maven, and um, she didn't do a lot of wrestling, but uh, you know, I mean, she did some, but uh, yeah, her main role for a long time was being Jamie Noble's uh, girlfriend slash manager, and the 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 problem with their gimmick was is it was very sexualized and the idea of the two of them interacting that way <laughs> is just repelling to me. So I, it just like, it, it put a weird taste in your mouth with that. Yeah. I, yeah. And then it's, <laughs> and yeah, but you know, yeah, you know, I guess whatever you're into, but, um, but in that, uh, in that spirit, we could show up and we're at the uh, New York Times Square WWE and Nydia and Jamie Noble are there. And apparently they've, they had some contest where they pulled like a few guys out of the crowd, supposedly. Um, I'm sure they were extras. And uh, I guess someone was going to win a makeout session with Nydia. They had a couch up on the stage. And then she just got to pick one of them. And then she does, and she throws him down on the couch and she mounts him and then starts making out with him wildly, like attacking him like a, you know, bobcat or something. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, Jamie Noble is leaning over, like with the microphone being like, that's right, you go for it. You get that tongue in there. You know, I mean, it was just like, it was rough. It was yeah. rough. You know, for as much as I love this SummerSlam, it's because of the matches. And all yes. the stuff on the in-betweens, all the promos were really rough. They could have cut all that stuff out and I would have been completely oh, fine. Oh, man. I just, and and I just, I've never gotten that image out of my head. I mean, that's up there with Mae Young and giving birth to a hand at this point, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I don't I, <laughs> Yeah, I, I got nothing to add to that. Yeah. All right, this is a big one. This is well, a big your boy, one. my man, Rob Van Dam. 
RVD versus none other than the rabid Wolverine, Chris Benoit. Now, why was it the Canadian crippler in the Un-Americans? Uh, he was a face. Well, no, I guess he wasn't at the time. Uh, I don't know. I guess he could have <laughs> been. He. The problem is, is he was. Here, I'll bet. You, okay, here's why. Here's my theory. Because he didn't need to be. There was no reason for him to be in a group like that. They needed him. They well, they they needed him, sure, but he didn't need to be in there. You know, he was doing. Benoit had only, if you think about it, I mean, Benoit has been in the company like what three, four years, maybe at this point. You know, so he's still kind of coming up, but he's coming into his own though now too. I mean, he he's he's getting there. He and Guerrero are like both like you know, trucking ahead. Uh, so yeah, I don't think you know the the un Americans were three guys who they didn't know what the hell to do with, and so they just threw them all together and gave them a cheap gimmick, you know. So, uh, but here we go. We've got uh, Chris Benoit and uh, the educated feet of RVD. <laughs> I always love that call from Jr. You know, Rob Van Dam and his educated feet, uh, uh, referencing his uh, his martial arts background. Um, we have uh, Brian Hebner is officiating this one as well, uh, pulling double duty here. Uh, one of the things I, I noticed in watching this is how you know RVD is known for being very flexible, and uh, I one of the things I think that works to in his favor is that when he gets like like Benoit can roll him up but like roll, like turn them flat in half, you know, yeah. and, and twist them into all these things and stuff, which makes Benoit look great, you know, and looks like it's killing RVD. And there's people who couldn't do that because if he went that hard on him, he'd probably tear their hamstrings out or something like that. So the fact that RVD had such great flexibility brought something to, you know, his matches for both people, he and the, his opponent. And I think it especially worked with, with Benoit, the type of match that he would wrestle. I thought that worked. I thought your yeah. point excellent there. Uh similar similar body types. Uh Benoit a little little thicker uh muscularly, but um nowhere was, near flexible. Yeah, no, no, he couldn't yeah, he that go he was one of the tightest looking <laughs> yeah. guys. He looked like he was just under constant strain. <laughs> like, yeah. it, like his body was just flexed. Nonstop. Well, it was. I, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah. but uh, so, but this is the, the only interpromotional match on the card. So this is a raw versus SmackDown match. So there is uh, some pride on the line here, but not only that, but the intercontinental title being held by Chris Benoit on SmackDown. So if RVD is to, it was to win, he would then take the title, and now that gets transferred over to Raw. And why would, why didn't they precede the match with, with that's when you bring out Eric and Stephanie and have them go at it with, the, this is the match. Right. That, they, that would have been the only promo they would have had to have done the whole night, and it would have made sense. Yes, yes I or afterwards. Either way. Well, they or do both. talk. They do talk about it afterwards, but it's a backstage yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this so, is one match, so I thought it went a little too long. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I even I'll say that you know it. There were 
it there were some parts that maybe you could have trimmed it up just a minute or two or something but i mean i also just enjoy watching them those two guys work each other so you know uh but i i i i don't totally disagree either uh not much it's a small criticism the man yeah yeah uh van damme does end up uh coming out on top uh with the ic title uh which was good for him uh the pay-per-view before this uh was the king of the ring or no i'm sorry it was two pay-per-views before this was king of the ring uh and he was in the finals for that but he was up against brock lesnar and so lost that match and uh so this was a good consolation to become ic champ because i believe this was the first time he became ic champ in the wwe so you're correct uh, so, yeah, so uh, the IC title is going back to Raw. Uh, they did check in backstage uh, with uh, Steph and Eric. And Eric was, of course, gloating that uh, Stephanie could now watch the Intercontinental title be defended on Monday Night Raw. She laughs in his face and walks away. And I believe, like, the next night on Raw, like, I, I don't know if... I think maybe she like stole RVD and like brought him to SmackDown or it was something like that. I don't remember what the, she had something up her sleeve though. Uh, or no, you know what I think it was? I don't think it was that. I think it was, she took Brock or something like that. I don't know. She took something from Raw. She took something from them. All right. Coming up next here, we've got the undertaker, the American badass version of the undertaker versus another uh, the third un-american test this was the bathroom break this was the bathroom break um and, and i hate to say this for the undertaker. about the undertaker yeah i mean you know i mean this is a huge deal for test to be able to have a match with the undertaker at SummerSlam. so um and, and they're both big dudes um uh if they're not the same height they're pretty damn close Test is a just gigantic, muscularly built dude, and uh, uh, and it was funny because you know, like with the whole on Americans, I mean, Jr's commentary was just, I mean, you can talk, you can talk bad about a lot of things in the world, but don't you dare say anything bad about America. Not not oh. the good old Jr. Man, I country mean, boy, nothing pissed that guy off more. Than someone coming out and 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 waving the the American flag in distress and talking ill of America, and he's telling them to go back and you know you know if you don't like it you know don't cash your paychecks here and <laughs> I mean it's it's funny. You know, and the thing was, was I always I, Edge or Edge uh, Test causes Test is one of the weirdest characters for me because I think he got a really bad deal and. In, in, in his career I, in the WWE. But on the other hand, I never really got into him either. Like I never, but maybe it's because they never gave me a reason to get involved invested in him. What I think went wrong with test was, is that there was no personality behind him. He, he didn't seem to have much personality and they never seemed to give him a gimmick that would force him to exercise some sort of a personality or character um that's why he had to be with other people and uh you know he was managed inevitably by stacy keebler who did all the oh, that was horrible for him. he was but like that was the... but that was horrible too because she was like his marketing agent and she was marketing him and his fans as testicles and it, it was but he was a... also brutal to her 
Oh or yeah, is it like at some point. No, no, no. He he eventually was like getting a little rough with her and stuff. It was just it, it was a bad look for him. But I feel like everything they did with him was a bad look. You know, he could work a great match, but I mean, it 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 does speak to like even with the best in ring ability, if you don't have you know some personality and some character, you know, it's just gonna land flat. Yeah, you know. But Benoit didn't have much personality. Well, and he he, he exuded, except for the incident, he's beloved. Yeah. Um, but see, here's the thing, though. He exuded a certain level of intensity that I think kind of made up the difference because he he didn't have to talk. He just looked like a mean little guy who would just rip you apart. He looked like a rabid Wolverine, you know, I mean, like and and I think that that's in a way spoke for itself in a unique way. And that's an extremely rare thing to ever have happen. So Benoit is a big exception, I think. Uh, but no, I mean, his, he never had like, his character was never anything more than him being Chris Benoit and just being a real tough guy, you know, and being a incredible, like one of the best technical wrestlers that they had. So no, anyway, you're right. Anyway, we don't want to just sit here and hate on Tess the whole time. Um, I, 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 fun. I, I always did think Tess's theme song was amusing. Test, test. This <laughs> that was test. cool. But if that's the best part about it, I I don't know. Uh, Howard Finkel uh, opens up this match. Uh, Great. Yeah. Howard Finkel came out and, you know, I don't, they didn't have anyone doing that for the, he didn't do it for the other matches, but he did it for this. Um, Referee Chad Patton officiating this contest. Um, So, classic brawler match you know two big dudes um going going for it with each other undertaker is is in this match because he he's trying to defend uh america and and, and it's honor and uh so you know he uh he, he's got you know, the crowd is clearly on uh on his side and usa chants are, are flooding the arena and uh uh naturally being part of a faction has its benefits and so during the match uh near the end we do have uh lance storm and christian uh interfere coming down to the ring uh looks like they're gonna probably outnumber and beat down undertaker but he snags both of them for a, a choke slam and uh test uh goes for a chair while they're in they're in there and then the ref's trying to get him out and all that. And so while the ref's distracted, chest test yeah, tries to go for a chair, comes on in there and uh Taker just kicks the chair into the dude's face, you know, classic move. So he's using his big boot move, but you know, with a little help from the chair, and uh pulls him up for the tombstone and one, two, three, and America's uh pride has been preserved. He uh, pulled a classic move and he went out to the crowd and grabbed one of the American flags that the fans had, came back in the ring and uh, held it up and, uh, you know, and. uh, The only thing missing was Jim Duggan coming out. (laughs) But Freedom freedom ring. Yeah, yeah, the the coolest part of this match was there was only eight minutes and a few seconds. So at least it was a little bit shorter. It was an appropriate amount of time for the match. Again, like I, I would have like, clipped it about 
four minutes. Yeah, it, it, no, I mean, like with the interference and, and everything, I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine, you know. You know, and as far as matches with Tess go, I mean, it was, I think it was a good match. You know, I, I, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the highlight of the night by any means. You no, know, but and, would it be the low light, the, the worst match? I, if you're going to, if I'm going to rank them, yeah, that would be last on the list if I was going to rank it, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, I also wasn't a big fan of this particular version of The Undertaker. This this period wasn't so bad. It kind of got worse later on. Yeah. Uh, this At this point, it wasn't so bad. But, um, yeah, I just, I also felt a little cheated because, again, being relatively new to watching wrestling, I was aware of what Undertaker used to be, you know. And now when I started watching, this was The Undertaker that existed. And I was like, well, that guy sounded like a lot cooler, you know? That well, yeah, because you know? the, the American Badass Undertaker could have been any big guy doing the same gimmick. Right. So I felt a little cheated at the time. So when eventually he did go back to the whole thing, oh, I was pumped, man, because yeah. I was I was finally going to get to see, you know, him doing this. Because back then, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, if you really went, you know, tape hunting and stuff, you could find stuff and everything. But like, you know, we didn't have all this stuff online and, and everything. I mean, the internet itself was still relatively know, new, relatively new. So for me to be able to go back and watch old stuff was really hard to do. You know, right. I just saw like if they did a retrospective video or something like that, you know, so I would see pictures and videos and I'd be like, that looks awesome. I'm like, what the hell is he doing with this? You know, right. so uh, so between Tess being just a flat character and not my favorite version of The Undertaker, it was, yeah, I, I could only be so excited about it. Watching it now more just as someone who's been in the ring, watching it from a technical aspect and the way that they carried the match out, I, I thought it was a well-done match. So, you know, just, again, if I was going to rank them, you know, matches for the night, that would not be uh, at the top of my list. It would definitely be the bottom, so... It would be the bottom by a long shot of mine. And, 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 but I will say you're right. The, the match itself, just in a vacuum, was not a horrible match. But I just, there's too many factors that I just didn't like about it. Our next match is just an absolute slobber knocker, to quote our good friend JR. I mean, like, the, really, it really is. He almost uh, died during the match. I mean, this, this match. I, I really feel like we could almost have done a whole episode just talking about this match, but um, I mean, we got, there's a, there's a, there's a table to set here before we even get into the actual match here. So we've got Shawn Michaels who's come back to the WWE and up until this point, he hasn't really done anything as far as any in-ring competing, competing, uh, he, they brought him in as part of the new NWO that the WWE's version of NWO Man. and it was really bad. Um, and it just fell apart very quickly. And it was interesting because when the way that they folded it, Vince just came out one night on Raw and said, you know what? The NWO was disbanded. It doesn't exist anymore. You're not going to see it again. It's just done. And then it was like it had just been erased. There was no follow-up to it. 
there was no real interaction between the guys who were, you know, part of the NWO talking about it or anything like that. It just disappeared. It was just completely wiped out and erased. He was like, forget you ever saw that. <laughs> Interesting. So Sean had just kind of been floating around at this point and everything. And when they had the brand split, you know, there was, of course, you know, with individual rosters, there was, uh, um, you know, some guys who were in higher demand than others. Uh, and the biggest guy who they were really fighting over was Triple H. Now, you had, you know, trip, uh, you had Eric Bischoff trying to get Triple H on Raw. And then you had Stephanie running SmackDown, which is an even more challenging task for her as they were uh, in the midst of a divorce at this point. Uh, story, yeah. storyline wise and uh yeah they were they had just had the the big wedding thing where you know she faked her pregnancy and everything and so now he's divorcing her and getting away from her and everything but yet she still knows the value of triple h and wants to have him on smackdown and everything so uh they're fighting over you know they're both like making their cases every week you know where's he gonna go where's he gonna go and everything and at the end of the, the day, what happened was, is that Eric Bischoff was able to tempt Hunter into joining Raw because he had Shawn Michaels. And so he went to Raw to be with Shawn Michaels. They, you know, when he comes out and he announces, I'm, I'm part of Raw, and the reason I came here is because of Shawn Michaels, Michaels comes out, then they, you know, they're, they're like showing the the friendship and everything and then i think it was the following week they come out and they uh they wear the old dx shirts and then they get in the ring and they start off and they do the whole intro like they used to but right after they say suck it triple h goes for the pedigree on Shawn michaels and the world is shocked uh i mean nobody can believe it best friends forever and now it's this, you know, ultimate betrayal and everything. And the thing is, is at the time, Shawn Michaels is there returning after four years after what he thought and everyone else thought was a career ending injury to his back. So for him to get attacked at all was a huge deal. I mean, let alone by Triple H, but I mean, just for his well-being. I mean, it did give a lot more drama to the whole thing because they never thought they'd ever see him wrestle in the ring again you know right. and, and it was a tra and it was a tragedy you know it was like one of the best ever and you know it was cut short so a lot of drama a lot of drama coming into this match here a great um, story heading yeah leading into yeah it. i mean it's just you this is just the sort of thing that you just I, I mean, this is just the best type of pro wrestling storytelling you can you can come up with. I mean, they've got a long history with each other. They've always been friends. They've all I mean, I don't think before this they ever fought each other. You know, I, I mean, they, they just, you know, he was always at his side, you know, and then I mean, you know, after Michaels left, you know, Triple H had some disparaging words about you know, Shawn Michaels when he de decided to take over DX, but you know, they never really had like any rivalry either. So, so this kicks things off. And then as the, as, after this event happens, uh, there's a night on raw where Shawn Michaels is attacked in the parking lot while triple H is cutting a promo in the ring. So it couldn't have been him. Right. Um, and so, 
Triple H runs out to the parking lot and is trying to tend to Michaels. And he, now he's acting all concerned. You know, he who had just pedigreed him like a week earlier, you know, is now out there telling him, you know, trying to like, you know, who did this? Who did this? I'm going to find out who did it. Uh, he's on the next week. Sean's on the Titan Tron. Triple H is in the ring. And Triple H is telling him, he's like, don't worry, buddy. I'm going to find out who did this to you and everything. And then Michael's shows that they took the security footage and they got a nice zoom in there and sure enough it was triple h now when they and I, i'm not going to go step by step through the whole thing don't worry i know but i'm i just this this is a stage worth setting here for this match i promise um so i mean but triple h's response was great he just smiled i mean like the guy just knows how to be a heel man i mean it was just so good hbk says you know I'm 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 messed up, but the doctors say I'm gonna make a full recovery and I should be ready by say SummerSlam. And then it's on. Now he's gonna have a match. Now this is being billed as a one-time only match. He's coming out of retirement, he's got one more match in him, and this is gonna be it. And he's going one-on-one -on -one with Triple H. Now, Triple H at the time, just like we were talking about with Jericho, is a young buck. And he is just enormous. I mean, just, yeah. just absolutely he-man. You know, I mean, it is unbelievable. And Shawn Michaels was in fantastic shape, too. Yeah. When he when he hit the front double biceps in the ring, I was like, damn, he's looking good. He's looking good. And then eventually, you know, he's got his shirt off. And he's always been a smaller dude. But, I mean, like, he definitely packed on more muscle, though, you know. So, um. So anyway, we uh, now find ourselves here at SummerSlam. And now, because of Shawn Michaels' sensitive back, uh, the WWE will apparently not sign off on this match. Uh, as far as they're concerned, legally, this match never happened, even though it's being aired on pay-per-view in like 140 countries or something like that. <laughs> but they yeah, got nothing they to do with it. Yeah, what do they we, call that match? I, I forget the term that they always use. Un unsanctioned. Unsanctioned, yeah. It was an yeah. unsanctioned match um yeah although it's billed and advertised and they're on the promo posters <laughs> yeah. and they and they do supply a referee uh so uh referee uh senior referee earl hebner officiating this uh incredible contest here i mean you can't ask for anyone better for for the i'm telling you man i mean like this match is just pro wrestling 101 top to bottom i mean like this is just fantastic stuff um so michaels comes out doing the old Shawn Michaels entrance, a lot of confetti, a lot of confetti, you know, some pyro for him and everything. He looks really excited and everything. Uh, at the time, he was real big on wearing his religion on his sleeve, and he had his shirt on, and it had said uh, it was uh, Philippians uh, 13, I think. And I looked it up to see what that means. Wow, doing some research. Yes, and uh, Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ. Okay. So that's, that's, what, that's what that was saying on his shirt. So he was, uh, he was ready to do it. Uh, so we get through the entrances and we started off. And, uh, I mean, we talked about, you know, targeting an injury. I mean, so this is a natural, you know, Triple H is going to go for the back the whole time. 
And that's exactly what he does. And it's just so, again, it's so smart and it, and, and it, it, it writes itself, but at the same time, it's how many different ways can you attack that back? And Triple H really went through the list, you know. But but the other thing too, though, you know, in the uh, like when the uh, the other wrestlers when they're attacking a certain body part, whether that body part is actually injured or not, could be storyline, could be slightly injured, whatever. Right. Shawn Michaels actually had a legitimate. Right. Now, granted, it was probably it was healed to some extent. Now. How healed was it? This is going to be a good test. Well, he was four years out from the last time that he had wrestled. Um, but you're right. There was an actual, like, legitimate, we've seen x-rays, you know, this big guy. Big time injury. Yeah, yeah big time career-ending en injury. Um, let's see. I wrote down how many days it was. <laughs> it was, like, I don't know, somewhere in there. You got the medical reports, too? <laughs> you got everything, man. I'm telling you, man. Um, you'll know, find it eventually. But uh yeah, so it's been four years though, but you're absolutely right. It's a real legitimate injury. So um now one of the things I always felt was that this match also made sense as far as Shawn Michaels coming back to the ring, because regardless of the storyline, Triple H is his best friend. And an extremely you know capable wrestler to say the least and one of the safest people he could go in and do this match with you know sure. they they know each other in in and out very very well and if i was in his situation with you know that you know back situation i would want to be in there with someone who i really trust and i know is going to be looking out for me the whole time you know uh and so, and Triple H, it just, it's just like the, just the stars aligned. It was like, it was not just the perfect story, but it was also the perfect guy for him to be in the ring doing this match with. But that being said, man, he really put him through the ringer, man. It just was brutal. He started off with a backbreaker over his knee. And it's just like, just even, you only just have to do one of those. And then Sean can sell it for like two minutes. I mean, just in agony, just rolling around, you know, and then. Triple H pick him up again, sidewalk slam, bang, down on the on his back again. Um, it hurts the guy with with a, a healthy back. Sure. Then he was going real basic, and he was throwing some really hard Irish whips to him in the corner, so his back is getting slammed into the ring, you know. And I a really good Irish whip, um, like if you really want to sell it and make it look hard, is when you throw them so hard that you fall down you know when you're still standing it's like you feel like you only got so much of it but when they throw it so hard that you know the guy goes down too and then the guy you know and you know you you don't you want to do that every time but you know like you, you hit them a couple couple ones and then that last one you throw them so hard that you go down and triple h hit that one but when you when you get hit with the irish whip and you you get slammed into the corner you're hitting turnbuckles you are, but it's still, it's still, I mean, yeah, it's padded, but it's still, you know, just, a, it's, it's a wall, basically. You're just still going into a wall and the force goes right through your body. First of all, oh, it so is it more like the, the like the shock of, of hitting it? Cause I'm sure. Well, you're going to feel it. I mean, you are going to, depending on how tall you are, you're going to feel it on your back. Probably most guys are like either, you know, the taller wrestlers 
like six foot and above are probably getting it in like the upper middle back, you know, uh, Rey Mysterio probably doesn't really have to worry about the, the turnbuckles too bad. Uh, he's got to watch his head probably, but, um, um, but no, and, but there is also the shock that goes through your body. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, that being said, um, I mean, you're in control of how hard you hit that turnbuckle, you know? So, uh, I mean, the guy only truly whips you so hard, no matter how hard you throw you yourself back. You're right. So it's on you to make it look good. Like if Triple H go goes into a falling Irish whip, then you better make it look like it was that hard, you know? So that's on you to throw yourself that much harder into the, into the thing. So can so, you absorb some of it with your arms on the ropes? No. No, no. It's, all, it's still going to be... All you're going to do, uh, you know, you're just going to probably bruise your arms up if you do that. Okay. So, But anyway, it's a smart move to do, given the situation and trying to work the back the way that he, he did. Um, being the, a non-sanctioned match, it was kind of confusing because <laughs> it was like, as far as what the rules were, because you could use weapons... But yet the the three count had to take place in the ring. It wasn't like a <laughs> it, it wasn't like a false count anywhere situation. So, and again, a non-sanctioned match. But there were still some rules to the whole thing. But there were very few. You could pretty much do anything. But and you could bend the ones that were there. Right. But you but you got to pin the dude in the ring, <laughs> or it don't count. So yeah. But I mean, uh, and kudos to Jr. Though for so he sold this thing from. Oh top man, Jr. was just absolutely incensed. He was beside himself the entire time. He was begging, begging Shawn Michaels, please stop. Just, just, just let him pin you. Just tap out. You have a family. You've got a son. <laughs> you know. I mean, like he's just he he just he, he just really it was just like you know you've you've shown everybody your heart you've proven everybody that you know you still got it you're still the heartbreak kid don't ruin the rest of your life for this you know and i mean yeah he just you know i always think it's funny when announcers especially jr because he was always so passionate about things but like and and not that it's never happened but it's very rare that like you know, you'll see something going on the ring in on in the ring, and the announcers are talking about how disturbing this is and how scared they are about what might happen and everything. It's like, well, then why don't you get up and do something? You know, <laughs> like you know, like like if I saw somebody standing in the street and a bus was coming, I said, well, I don't know, this doesn't look good. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, I wouldn't just stand there; I'd get up and go. Right? You know, I mean, I that's just it's pro wrestling, you know. But I just thought I always thought that was funny that they never actually like. I mean, once in a blue moon i have seen jr for something or other get up and you know or or i, I think i've seen uh i've seen a few like lawler get in the rain and stop stuff but uh yeah it's rare it's rare yeah. though yeah it's so a dramatic I, moment but i thought i thought jr actually added to the the match oh Cause, you because sometimes I, they go overboard and, and it, it's it just goes overboard and, and it, it gets to ridiculous level i thought jr it was perfect Again, you you couldn't have asked for a better announced team in this thing. You had Jr. Well, King, you know. No, no, I'm not even going to to humor the idea that you and I would have been able to do a better job or even close. Our God, we could have. I don't think so, buddy. No, I mean, like, if I was, I, hey, if it was me, I would have want, I would have wanted them calling my match. I mean, but that was, yeah, it was just, I mean, 
they're on commentary. Earl Hebner's ref in this thing. You got Triple H versus HBK. It's SummerSlam. This is a WrestleMania level main event. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like this. Uh, this is just. I'm telling you, man. So keeps working the back. Now he's got the steel chair. You know, hits the back, gets him with a DDT on a steel chair. Uh, then he goes for uh, Michael's belt. Now he's taking the belt off and he's and he's whipping him in the back with the belt. And again, the reality of knowing the injury added so much more drama. And it was like Triple H was just absolutely being relentless on Shawn Michaels. The first, what was the time on the match? You know, you've been keeping track. Yeah, it was um, a fit. A fit uh, no, that's uh, that one. It was, I got it right here. Uh, don't I have it right here? I do have it right here. No, I don't. I well, at, at least a third of that match is Shawn Michaels just absolutely getting destroyed and just absolutely getting his back torn apart. But, yeah. um, I mean, it's... Yeah, and, you, you, and when you're getting hit with the strap, it, you can see the strap, the, the, the redness of the strap. There's really, oh, yeah. I mean, you could pull, you could pull the, the you know, the puncher or if you will oh yeah yeah no, you're there still was, gonna feel that strap hitting you that's the thing with it is that there's physical evidence of you know that triple h is really slapping them hard with that thing i'm sure he's doing it as hard as he can because in the moment the harder you do it the less you feel it actually could it have gone 27 minutes it could have yeah that's what i've got here that's why i was <laughs> kind of surprised 27 I, minutes that's like old school oh it was a long match man it was a long match uh, but it was just, but it was so it was so damned exciting. It doesn't feel like a long match, though. Right. Uh, so then he takes the belt. Now he's now. I mean, you know, in Triple H, the cerebral assassin. I mean, this guy just thinks of everything. Now he takes the the belt and he wraps it around his hand. And he's got the belt buckle, and so now he goes over and then he gets Sean, and then he starts cracking him in the forehead with the belt buckle. And now Sean Michaels is wearing the crimson mask. Oh, so, I love that term. So now, now we've got blood in this match now too. Do you think he bladed, or was it? Um... I think he bladed because when, if you look at the way that they set up the cameras, Sean's facing away when he's hitting him with the belt, first of all, and then the camera stays on Triple H afterwards, and then they come back, and then he's sitting there and he's bleeding. So if you don't see him like start bleeding like from something. Typically, you know, yeah, it 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 was it was ble uh, bladed. Plus, he actually stopped bleeding at a certain point too. And I think if you can get that cut just right, it won't. You know, it, he. Right. I think it just didn't bleed out as bad. Um, but again, adds to the drama. You know, having blood, they weren't they weren't afraid to do that back then. So, sensation well, too. Right. Right. Um. At this point, the ring is just a mess. I mean, you've just got, you know, it's like there's, you know, there's a chair. I think there's a trash can or something like that. He's dropped, he's like sidewalk slammed him onto a trash can. I mean, it's like, uh, it's just stuff's everywhere. Um, what? At some point, and this kind of coincided with JR just, you know, just absolutely turning inside out on the, on the, on the side of the ring. But um, Earl Hebner and Triple H get into it at one point, too. And it's worth noting just because, you know, you don't see too often a ref get in the face of somebody like Triple H as hard as he did in this match. I mean, Earl was red in the face, yelling at him, 
tell him that he's sick of it. He's like, I'm sick of the chair. I'm sick of the belt. I'm sick of the trash cans. You know, he's yelling. And then all of this is giving Shawn Michaels a little time to kind of regroup and everything. And then like at first Triple H is, and this is where like he can be funny even as a heel. But um, at first Triple H is yelling back. But then it's like he starts kind of getting a little like, scared of Earl Hunter. Yeah, He's like yes. starts kind of backing up a little bit like whoa like take it easy man like hey you know <laughs> and I, I like how did Earl get is it just that he's, he's yelling so loud that his face actually gets that red because I mean that was like beat red and yeah he had to be oh no I'm sure he was just screaming as loud and as hard as he could at him and everything he was selling it hard he did a fantastic job he did yeah. a fantastic job because it, I mean but it's but it becomes you know now you've had somewhat of a comical moment in the match too so I mean that's just you know this thing is just like a roller coaster it lightened it up a little bit yeah um so uh Trip or Sean Michaels finally turns things around with a low blow, and uh, which is always funny when the when the face does a, a an illegal move, if you will. Yeah, but I mean, it's I think it kind of becomes fair game after the guy has broken the rules about twenty times already. You know, I mean, like then it's like you got to play on an even playing field. You know, and if it's not going to disqualify you, or you can do it without the rough looking, you know. I, I I think there are some exceptions for faces to be able to pull it off. It should not be a regular thing by any means. It's got to be very, meaning very specific criteria. But um, so then uh, Triple H goes for another chair, comes after HBK, but uh, catches some sweet chin music with the chair in front of his face. Now Triple H goes down. Now he's bleeding. <laughs> so now we got two. Oh, that was definitely a bleed. But that guy was really bleeding. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Michaels had a lot at first, but then it started drying up as it went along and it seemed like it stopped bleeding. Triple H bled pretty much the rest of this match, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Um, now, so we're cranking along here. Uh, Michaels has been losing most of this most of this match. He gets this. I think he falls down like when he, after he hits the, 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 sweet chin music or whatever and so they're both kind of laying down and then that magic moment that only Shawn michaels can do the kip up yes now Go i'm ahead. gonna say i'm gonna say it's a little unbelievable that after all the hell his lower back just took that he could do a kip up and as well as he did, because he yeah. snapped that thing hard. I mean, he yeah. jumped right up and then is just jumped up and he's charged up. Now, there's a very this is where like the superhero element of wrestling comes in, though. I mean, that's it's you're only gonna see that sort of thing in wrestling. You know, it is is it unbelievable? Yeah, it's 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 a stretch, but you know what? there's some 10 year old out there watching it. Who's not thinking about it like that. And they're looking at it and they're thinking like, Holy cow, look at this guy. He just got back up. He might have a chance, you know? So while I'm sitting here sounding cynical about this particular moment, I do think that I, I tend to forget that there's so many kids who watch this stuff, you know, and for them, it is a magic moment. It is, and it's something they'll remember. You know, it, it is something that's you know, when you're a kid and you're you you can suspend disbelief that much more than than an adult can. 
I mean, man, I, I'm sure that had to be a very like superhero type of moment for him because he just jumps up like that after everything. And now he's like, he looks enraged and he looks like he's at the bulldog again. And he's going to go, he's going after Triple H. And then he starts making his comeback. And Jim Ross is going crazy. Oh, and Jim, yeah. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. He's How does he feet. do it? He's on his feet. My God. My God. It's a miracle. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so he starts going around and he's just beating up Triple H. One of my favorite moments in this, though, was they're, <laughs> they're outside the ring. Michaels goes over to the Spanish announce table and he takes Hugo Savinovich's shoe off <laughs> and, and cracks Triple H over the head from it, which Triple H goes down from, you know, <laughs> like he sells the shoe, you know, I mean, it was like, that was, that. <laughs> it was like, that's, they're just having fun now at that point. Do you, you, know? do you think that part was planned or was that, because to me, that seemed like just kind of a spur of the moment. I thing. think it could have been a spur of the moment thing, because I've seen enough of that happen. It shows, you know, that I've been on where, I, where somebody has gone into the crowd and done something like that. And it just, you know, and the fans are always, the fans are always into it. I'm sure Hugo had no problem with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you well, got a shoe back. Yes. Yeah, sure yeah, so. on eBay. <laughs> um, got Triple H blood on it. It's on eBay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Michaels uses the old fire extinguisher, blasts him in the face with the fire. <laughs> or, or no, he didn't. I think he hit him with the fire extinguisher. Yeah. But, um, so now we've had the fire extinguisher out there now. We've uh, uh so so uh they set up a, a table. The crowd's chanting for tables, and uh and there of course it goes without saying that the crowd is completely behind Shawn Michaels this whole time, you know. Yeah. Uh but they are chanting for tables, and at this point they have used everything but the kitchen sink. So I mean tables, you know, and uh uh, Michael's had brought out a ladder, used that a little bit, but uh, then eventually he gets out a table, and uh, which just have to be under the ring. Yeah, well, you always got to have some extra tables under the ring. You never know, you know. In case a luncheon breaks out. Well, you never know. You know, maybe maybe more people showed up than you were expecting. You need to put them somewhere. Maybe you know, if the announce table gets broken, they need to use something just to you know get by with until the end. You know, it's good they have spares. That's why they have the chairs under there too, because you can't have you know table and no chairs. And you know, a fire so. extinguisher because you never know when the middle but, of the ring might. Yeah, well, there's all the electronics. There's all the electronics that are sitting on the hey, table man. and stuff. Everything under there makes perfect sense. Plus, you need a ladder if you're gonna like you know hang titles over the or over the ring or something like that. Plus, the ring from the floor up to the you know can be you know like eight feet or something like that. So you know ladders are necessary. Everything under the ring makes total sense. Of and then a toolbox because hey, you might need you know probably be used it to help put up the, the ring together and everything. So. You are the thinking um, man's wrestler. And, uh, you know, and sometimes, you know, when you're putting the boards in the the ring, as you've seen us do before, you know, you might need a sledgehammer to kind of like bang them in there, you know, so. Uh, or There you go, Tommy just explained all the yeah. possible needs. So there you go. Uh, but so Shawn Michaels goes up, he climbs the ladder, he's got uh, Triple H on the table. And uh, before he does it, he uh makes the uh you know crazy sign where he's like spinning his you know finger next to his head and then he just dives off does a cross body 
which is which is smart if you're if your back is messed up you're not going to go for the elbow or or something like that so hits the crossbody on triple h and uh but the problem is is again they're they're uh outside the ring so gets them back inside the ring they have a little bit back and forth uh now hbk starts tuning up the band now when i watched this i was like that whole place is like rumbling now i've got a pretty nice sound system in my place so the sub it was going and like i mean it really was just like when he had the band tuned up that place was just absolutely losing their minds absolutely losing their minds but the funny thing is is that he misses it you know his big signature finisher he misses it Triple H hits him with a, a kick to the gut, puts him in the pedigree. It looks like he's certainly going to nail him and counter this and close it. Michaels counters it, rolls over him into the pin, and he wins. I mean, just a fantastic ending to the whole thing. The crowd was absolutely losing their minds. I can't. I was at the Money in the Bank when Cena and CM Punk fought in Chicago for CM Punk's, you know, final night of his contract thing and stuff. That's the loudest I've ever heard a wrestling crowd in my entire life. But I can imagine that at the Nassau Coliseum that night, it was equally as loud because... Well, it, what about when Punk debuted at AEW? That was pretty loud. That was pretty loud, but that still wasn't as loud as... What, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I would say that was probably the loudest I've ever heard. Yeah, no, it was it was it was loud. It was a big deal. But I, I, you know, part of it I think though is also I mean like it was loud for his entrance coming out, you know, and then he's standing there and he's talking. His match sure. with Cena, his match with Cena was you know twenty some minutes, and they were that loud the entire time. I yeah. mean, they were that loud at the beginning of the night of the pay per view. You know, because like they could have cared less about anything else on that pay per view that night. Right. And what by the time you got to the main event, or even just the minutes leading up to the main event, that place was already just losing their mind. They, nothing had even happened yet. So, but anyway, my point is, is that seeing the reaction, hearing this crowd, it just reminded me of that. And I'm like that, and it was totally deserving of that too. It absolutely should have had it. Which again, the crowd, the crowd. And their enthusiasm for everything also helps round this out into being just an incredible, incredible match. And I really love the end. I, I yeah. love that the, because everyone's expecting the, the sweet chin music or the pedigree or something big, the big finishing move to end it because we're almost, it's, it's the second to last match. It's the big match, blah, blah, blah. And then he wins it that way, which I just thought was, was beautiful. Right. It was just a simple, like flipped over and, held him down and pinned him and that was it it was just a it was a pin you know it's like they both missed their signature moves and then he just hit him with a pin you know so here he is and this is he's in this triumphant moment and and he's beaten triple h at SummerSlam, and and everybody is just like on cloud nine and then all of a sudden jr's worst nightmare comes true and Triple H comes up from behind and just slams HBK in the back with a sledgehammer. And he gave him the first one that was like the cover, you know, the hand over the, the, the mallet part and everything. But then he takes it and he actually like swings it over his head while he's on the ground and hits him with the mallet and everything. Uh, I mean, JR and the King just 
losing their minds. This guy, this guy needs to you burn could kill him. him. Yeah, yeah, you could kill him. You can, you should burn in hell. You should burn <laughs> in hell. You know, I mean, like it just, it's. I mean, they just absolute contempt. And one of my, one of the best parts, and again, just Triple H being so awesome at what he does is as the medic medics are tending to HBK and they're putting him on a stretcher and in a neck brace and everything, Triple H is walking out and he's here he is and he's covered in blood and everything, but he's laughing and he's smiling and he's just like, you know, living it up. Like, you know, the loss meant nothing to him. All that mattered was is that, you know, because he was saying, I'm going to cripple you at yeah. SummerSlam. And so for him... He in his mind he won, so it's like a win-win situation where Michaels gets to win the match technically, but Triple H also got to accomplish what he set out to do too. It was like the perfect match. I'm telling you, it's just the whole thing start to finish. I mean, it's like it's amazing that this was second to last match. Right. Yeah, this is a. I mean. <clears throat> a near impossible i mean it is it, it is an impossible match to, to follow because the fight because our next match coming up is is brock versus rock right which is 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 a great match but it's nothing like this yeah. i mean you know um but we'll get to that in a minute so but just to just to put a bow on this match though i mean really i mean am i wrong this is no. not no this is this is one of the I don't know how I would change anything. I thought it was a perfect match as was. There, from the buildup to the execution to the end, and like you said, they both came out winners in their respective minds. Right. Yeah. This, of course, began a rivalry between the two of them that went on. Unfortunately, I thought too long. Uh, yeah. They they really. I mean, they went almost like a whole year. You yeah. know, going back and forth, and at a certain point it did start kind of getting a little bit old. I mean, like, after that first one, it was like, what the hell else are you going to do? You know? Yeah. I mean, even when they went and did Hell in a Cell with each other, actually, their Hell in a Cell match was pretty good. But, I mean, it, it's still, it's just like, you know... But the surprising thing was is that, you know, again, this is supposed to be a one-night-only thing. Michaels is doing this, and then he's done, and he's going back to not wrestling. You know, but now he's got a, a, a vendetta with triple h and so he ends up starting this rivalry with triple h and then wrestling full-time again and then you know eventually moving on to other guys and that got him back in for another you know 10 years almost i think well aside from the fact that we didn't really know what michaels was capable of if he'd be able to continue wrestling putting that aside for the second Given that scenario, everyone probably would have thought there's it's not going to be a one night only match. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I, once you saw him in the ring running around and doing all the stuff, and he's kipping up, and after everything, I mean, it's like, okay, well, this guy must be doing all right, you know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, if he doesn't, if he if he doesn't wrestle after this, it's just going to be because he decided not to, not because right. he can't do it. So, um. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I was never really sold entirely on the one night only thing, but I wasn't really thinking too much about it either, because again, the story was just compelling enough that it was, you know, I was just along for the ride. It was a very good time to be a, a wrestling fan and watch that, you know, that SummerSlam. So, agreed. All right, 
now we move on. We've got, you know, so they got to take some time and clear out the ring and clean up around the area and everything. So they got a little time killer to, you know, fill between this and the next and the main event. Um, uh, boy. The only thing I'll say good about this segment, besides from I like seeing uh, Trish and, and, uh, and uh, uh, Lillian on screen, the only thing I'll say about this is due to the, the enormity of the previous match, the intensity of the previous match, it was kind of good to get something light in between the kind of oh you had to decompress you had to let the crowd decompress. I mean right. they just I mean I, I I felt exhausted after watching the match. Exactly. You know what I mean? It was like you just just the tension in you, like if you're drawn into it, I mean just your your body will tense up and you're right. you know you're on and you're on the edge of your seat if you're not standing up, you know. I mean, it's and that is an exhausting match to watch. And when you're in the crowd, it's a whole other thing because oh, you're yeah. actually because you're actually yelling and screaming and stuff like that. So you gotta let the crowd get a breath and take a minute and go to the bathroom and you know, go get a hot dog or something. You know, it's it it is an exhausting endeavor. And so yeah, you know, you bring out something that's you know, doesn't really, you know, matter one way or the other, and it's lighthearted and kind of you know, you got to cleanse the palate before we go. But see, into this would have been a good spot for for just bring back because they already had it earlier tonight. Bring back Eric and Stephanie, have them do something stupid. You know, we'll see next week on Raw or SmackDown or whatever. You know, and the, the this the bit with Fink was just dumb. So what it was was Howard Finkel. Now, if I, I I'm they don't really talk about it so much in the spot, but if I recall at the time, I think Finkel was trying to either get uh, Lillian fired or, yes. or something to that effect. Yeah. yeah it was so, like a, a building rivalry, if you will. Right. And, uh, and at Which the is time, dumb too. yeah. And uh, Trish Stratus was sort of acting as like an advocate for, uh, for Lillian and, uh, um, had been in an altercation with Howard, uh, I think the previous week where she, uh, she slapped him or something like that. And, uh, so the Fink comes out to the ring and first of all, he mentions that he's, uh, making his, uh, first appearance here at the Nassau Coliseum for the first time since WrestleMania two. And he's like expecting a round of applause and JR and the King are just like, well, who cares? So what, <laughs> yeah. you know, what else you got, you know? And, um, and then of course he starts ripping on long Island and, you know, Howard is just, he was just, he's always been a creepy guy to me. He's always been a creepy guy to me, but I will say that when they did do the legends house show, and I got to see him as a real person. He seems like a very nice and sweet guy. You know, he seems very cool. Well, but, I've talked to him several times. He is a nice guy. But, you know, this goes to, too, I, I don't really need to see a heel turn from a ring announcer. Right, right. It's it's just, yeah. Unnecessary dumb. Right. Um. So he comes out now. He's he's ripping on Long Island, whatever. And now and then all of a sudden, Trish Stratus's music comes on, and she comes down to the ring. Now he's he's a little wary of her after their last interaction and having been slapped by her. She gets on the mic, and now she starts doing this thing where she's kind of like teasing him, and she's telling him that she thinks he's kind of sexy, and you know, and maybe she you know overlooked something with him, and um he just gives one of the uh, worst lines, one of the worst lines. 
that just made me turn inside out. And he tells her, he says, you know, Trish, it's a doggy dog world. You've got the puppies and I've got the wiener. And I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> no, you didn't just say that. Yeah, I mean, we're coming off the Michaels, HBK, Triple H match. The cool, uh, one of the coolest moments you could imagine. This was not the palate cleanser that I wanted. It's just give this, me something this, vanilla. This was so low rent. It was, it was just so bad. It's and I just so had the feeling weird. that Vince was in the back giggling about it. The only thing would have made yeah. it is if he was in the ring with Trish coming on to him. No, that's Vince humor for sure. Because I I don't get the impression from what I've seen of uh, Finkel outside of the ring and stuff like that that he would ever even come up with that line. You no, know I, mean? I, I no. like he he was fed that one for sure. Yeah. So. Um, so then Trish, it's the it, then then the execution of this thing is awkward too. Trish is like, so then she like she gives him a hug. She says, Let's start with a hug. So then they he gives him a hug, and then he's like, Oh, that's that's nice. This is very unexpected. And she's like, All right, well, now maybe we'll move on to and then she's like about to say, and then you can tell like something's going on, and she's kind of stutter stepping in her voice, and then she goes, Oh, uh, you know what? Uh I'm not the real reason you're, you're, I'm out here. Turn around or something, or like, or she, or she is, or something. And she, he turns around, and there's Lillian Garcia, slaps him right across the face, and uh, he goes down. And uh, you know, and then Trish and Lillian are in the ring, and Trish is holding Lillian's hand up and everything. And I guess this somehow settles the <laughs> between the two of them. Uh, it was cringeworthy at best. It was definitely cringeworthy. It was really, really rough. Like I said, the matches on the show, fantastic. All of the other promos and spots, just horrific. I mean, yeah, cut them out. Uh, I, all I needed was something in between these two matches to settle down. Something very bland would have worked, or even a little humor if you wanted. This, this missed on every conceivable level. It wasn't funny, it wasn't entertaining. And I mean, like, I think Lillian had been gone for like a couple of weeks or something like that. So her showing up was sort of exciting at the time. Um, but that that was really about the extent of it. And plus, you know, she's not a wrestler. So I don't know. It just. Right. They're building a storyline about two ring announcers. That, and everyone loves Lillian. Everyone loves the fame. But nobody gives a crap about this. Right. Uh, Where's it going to go? Are you going gonna, gonna to wrestle her? I would be I would be remiss if I did not mention. I know I've said this to you a million times, but just for the sake of the audience, um, Lillian Garcia is one of the best singers. I mean, she just really I yeah I I for my money I have never and I've heard the national anthem a lot of times, and I'm sure I know you have too. But for my money, I've never heard anybody sing the national anthem as 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 beautifully and as perfectly as she does. Yeah, I mean, agreed. just and I was fortunate enough to get to meet her thanks to you. Uh, one, yeah, yeah, and I I made sure I told her that because I tell everybody that I'm yeah. like, and if if there's ever someone over and they're like seeing her for the first time, I'm like, see, I'm like, you see her, you'll never hear anybody better sing the national anthem than her. 
um and she uh, you know great singer otherwise as well too but i mean just uh just anytime they bring her i mean as far as i'm concerned she every year when they do the the national anthem at wrestlemania it, it should just be given to her you know Agreed. they you know some of these bands they bring out anyway just wanted to show some love for her so yeah we'll pass this one going now we're in the main event okay here we go this is it the main event rock versus brock with paul Heyman in his corner now this too has a has a nice is a nice build up but it's a brief one um it, it basically you you know brock lesnar is new to the company he's been there you know since probably right after wrestlemania i believe and uh in that time just every week squash match after squash match but guys like you know jeff hardy matt hardy you know and, and just working his it way through the, yeah yeah no, not just that not little dudes i mean like he's he's going after you know the whole roster you know uh undefeated gets the king gets to the king of the ring makes it to the uh last match of the king of the ring against uh rob van dam up until that point we really hadn't seen lesnar have too much of an actual match you know it was always him coming out there maybe a suplex and an f5 and that was about it which at the time was sort of working against him because people were just thinking he was a goldberg type of character you know and uh but the reality of it was is that he's an ncaa double an ncaa champion and he knows how to wrestle as good as anybody um or better i should say <laughs> so um but you just hadn't seen it yet so you see a little bit of it with uh the match of king of the ring and you know it's clear that he does know how to work you know he's not having it's not a very long match or anything but there's no reason for you know the whole idea is still that he's so powerful that he's just gonna put you down and you know rvd took him to the limit and made him have to work for it like nobody else did but that was fine. That was perfect up until that point. But yeah, yeah. it was it was good. It stretched um, out a little bit. Yeah, I was I was a, I wasn't surprised at the result, but I was a little disappointed that RVD did not become king of the ring. But that's just you know because he's my guy. Uh, but the stipulation that came along with winning king of the ring was that you also got to go to the main event at SummerSlam and challenge for the undisputed championship. So after king of the ring. The champion at the time was Undertaker. So people are thinking we're going to see Brock and Undertaker at SummerSlam. But there was a triple threat match at Vengeance the next month for the Undisputed Championship between Undertaker, Kurt Angle, and The Rock, which is a fantastic match. Uh, oh, totally, yeah. totally worth going back and watch. Uh, watch that one. That is a great match. But in the course of that match, spoiler alert, The Rock wins the title. So now everybody knows. Okay, we're looking at the Brock, we're looking at Brock versus The Rock, and so the promos start going, and they're showing training promos. And I love this. I love this. I love when they do the training promos, especially yep. with guys that you know that, that it applies to. Like you know, these guys are both college athletes. The Rock, you know, from playing football, and uh, yeah, and uh, Brock being a wrestler um you know and they're showing like the rock in miami like running the stadium stairs and things like that and then they show brock on the farm you know work doing his workout and carrying logs on his back and then jumping into ice baths and and all this stuff uh love the build-up paul Heyman is just absolutely on fire he has found his guy um this is still the just the very very infancy of his relationship 
with Brock. I mean, it just like, and who, who would have thought that that, I mean, for a manager and a wrestler to stay together as long as they did, you know, so consistently, I mean, just it was a great combination. Great, great combination. I um, love Polly. I always love Polly. He's he is the best man. He's fantastic. Uh, and and the day that they got him and Brock Lesnar together was just a match made in heaven. It was absolutely perfect. So going into this match, it's a big deal. Brock's undefeated. He's twenty one years old. He's an absolute monster that like nobody can take their eyes off him because he comes out and it's a spectacle. I mean, he just when, <laughs> especially then. There was nobody on the roster who looked like him. There were big guys, but like he, this guy just was so symmetrically solid and big that it just and and just mean looking. He looked like the bully on the playground. I mean, just it just he he just exuded this heel look, and all he had was his black trunks and his boots, and he went out there and was just beating the crap out of everybody. The Rock's got a little more finesse. He certainly has more experience and everything. And uh, the Rock you know, was only like thirty-one-ish at the time, too. So he's no, still, no, oh, still and in the prime. He's just getting into the whole movie thing at this point, yeah. too. Like I think he he had, he had done Scorpion King or something by this point, but that was really about it, you know. Right. Um, but he's in fantastic shape for this match. The Rock looked awesome, um, and at the time. It was kind of like around the time when The Rock was just starting to get that sort of physique because, you know, you know, Nation of Domination, stuff like that. He always kind of was a softer guy, you know, yeah, big muscles. But yeah, yeah not, big guy, but the definition, the cut. He wasn't he wasn't really sporting, you know, any real major abs or anything like that. But like but but now this was this rock, you know, from this era was a leaner one for sure, you know, and now he's just an insane gorilla, but, um, yeah, I'm sure but, it's all natural, <laughs> but he, uh, but so, you know, two guys in incredible shape, you know, and, uh, so here we go. We get to the match. Uh, we have, uh, referee Mike Kyoto officiating this one to round out all of our refs for the day. I thought it's a choice, Mike Kyoto. I mean, certainly a veteran ref, good, good ref. I would have thought that they would have given it to uh, Hebner. So I would well, have thought they yeah, like switch them, you know, switch them out. Yeah, you know, honestly, I think uh, if they, I mean, if they hadn't had the Triple H Shawn Michaels match, it would absolutely would have been Hebner. But I think having Hebner, it, I think it. Hebner being in that match was more important than being in the match with Rock and Brock. True. Probably, uh, yeah. Kyoto was more or less. Well, and here's here's the other thing, too, is the refs were delegated to uh, specific shows, too. So uh, Kyoto was like the senior ref for SmackDown. So uh, and and uh, Hebner was senior ref for Raw. So at the time, it made sense for him to yeah. be the one calling the match. And in the company, he was probably like the second, in, you know, ref on the ladder down from him. And, you know, at the, well, maybe him and Charles Robinson or something like that. Were probably, I think he might have been above Robinson because Robinson, because he was with the company, I think, longer. Robinson came over. He came from the, WCW. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I mean, I know he came from WCW. I think Kyoto was around longer. Yeah. Well, either way, he was uh, calling this one. Calls it right down the middle, as always. We had no chicanery from any of the refs. Uh, everyone, everyone called it straight down the middle. Nobody missed anything. There were no uh, no controversies. Yeah, no so controversial cold. endings or anything. Nick Patrick. Um. So 
they show they show you know a great package before the the match starts and everything, and then Brock comes on down to the ring. The Rock's music hits, and the Rock runs to the ring, sprints down to the ring, and then jumps in and is immediately doing his Rock like slaps to the face type of thing, you know. So he's trying to start this match off with a lot of energy, you know. Personally, I would not want to waste my energy racing down to the ring, but it is a it is a ramp. I guess you're going downhill. So, <laughs> but, but I get it. It, was, it is more of an exciting entrance to, to get things going. Well, I, one of the things I noticed is, man, The Rock really loves selling the mouth. Like, he will open his mouth as wide as he can. Like, <laughs> if, like if he's in a hold or, or something like that, he closes his eyes and it's just like, you know, like <laughs> just as wide as he, and he, and he does it so much. I mean, it's just, it's his go-to face. I mean, you could just see down his throat into his gut. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's really nuts. Um, For as long as, uh, for as, as much as he had a, a longer match with Robbie and Dan, I think this up to this point, this is the longest match that Brock yeah. has wrestled. So, um, it's the main event at SummerSlam. It's got to be, uh, you know, have a little bit of time on it. Do you have a time on it? Do you know? I do it have a time on it. It was uh, 15 minutes, 50 seconds, almost 16 minutes. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that's a long match at the time for Brock Lesnar, you know. Yeah. Um, it was very interesting, the crowd reaction. Uh, yeah. Let's the talk about, the, let's they... talk about that because, there was uh there was definitely uh, there was a lot it was very hard to tell where they stood because there were times where like the crowd seemed firmly against the rock and then there were times where they were cheering for him too i think and it then, went back and forth i don't think it was a matter of you know a rock section and a brock section i think it kind of went back and forth i think they went with the match yeah i i i agree and that's interesting i mean that's t that's a really tough thing to cultivate where where like you can have a crowd like changing their mind about like who they want i mean oh, people right. yeah people usually you know you know maybe you might get someone you know to to switch off and then pick another guy but but to, yeah like you said go back and forth multiple times that's i don't even know i wouldn't even know how to do that from a psychology well, standpoint well here's the one that i will compare it to um i don't know that guy. you can manufacture it i think it's just no. something that yeah but I will compare it to when Piper fought Bret Hart over, yeah. um, over the IC title. The crowd was kind of divided on that and back and forth. Like, they kind of just cheered everything. But in yeah. here, they, yeah, this was a very strange crowd reaction. So, like, The Rock, I think, gets Brock and, like, uh, you know, the sharpshooter at some point or whatever. And the crowd just is booing him. They're booing yeah. Rock. And The Rock's looking around, and then he's he's you know the rock would never actually speak but he would just mouth words and stuff like that and i could see what he was mouthing and it wasn't anything he could have said out loud uh so he was telling long island you know what he thought of them but then you know so it's like what you would think would just feed them even more into not liking him but like you, you said then you know a few minutes later you know uh, <laughs> they were back on they're, it. They're back cheering. on it and they're cheering for him. Yeah. It's like if Brock starts going after him or they're, you know, then they're booing Brock, you know, and then you're hearing Rocky chants and it just, it, it's, it, it is a credit to them that after that Shawn Michaels, triple H match, they were able to get that crowd up again 
and get them excited. I mean, the fact that they were cheering and they were booing and they were chanting and everything at the very end of the night, the last match, I mean, because they're not just tired from that match, but they're tired from this entire show. I mean, Finkel alone might have sucked the life out of them. So uh, <laughs> it, you know, so good on them for being able to get that that crowd back up and going again. There was so much anticipation about it, and people were genuinely really excited about this match, yeah. you know. And they uh, and yeah, and it was it was a great match. They, uh, I think, they showcased Brock very well. Rock played his part in this very well. Um, you know, it was one of those things too, where you know, just even the name, like you know, Rock versus the uh, right. the Rock versus Brock, you yeah. know, it, it was like the marquee just added to it as well. Um, yeah, it's not something I would mock. <laughs> you know, you just had to bring us to a screeching halt or soccer. Okay. Anyway, um, so near the end of the match. You know, it's the end of the night, so the Spanish announce table is certainly <laughs> certainly up for grabs at this point. And uh, so a big moment there was uh, Paul Heyman gets rock bottomed through the Spanish announce table. Now, this is a big this is a big thing when you're a manager is at some point the, the thing is, if you're a, if you're a heel manager like that, especially if you're a real, real weasel like he is, you get to get away with. 99% of what you do, but at some point you've got to get your comeuppance. It's yep. gotta, you gotta get, you know, you get, and that's why managers need to know how to like, you know, take a bump and things. Bobby like Heenan theories. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so for the rock to finally have gotten his hands on, you know, and the thing was, is that even at the time, I mean, Brock and uh, uh, Heyman had only been, you know, together for, you know, maybe five months or something like right. that. Heyman had, however, been in the company, though, you know, as part of the, you know, uh, invasion and all that and everything and had been a bad guy. So there were a lot, and, and he never really got anything up until that point. I think that was the first time since he came in the company that someone finally did something to, to him. Cool for him for taking it and selling it well. Oh yeah, well, I, he may not have had not a, a wrestler. Clearly, he may not have had us do much selling, man. I mean, getting rock bottom through that table, I'm is not it's not comfortable, man. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he's clearly not in shape, so you know. And then Taz, oh, yeah. Um, so anyway, so they get they go back in the ring, uh, Rock and Brock, and uh, Brock ends up hitting Rock with a rock bottom. See now, I don't like that. Yeah, I don't well, like these. I, I I don't like these using the other guy's moves. I don't like it. The my problem with it is it almost never seems to work. Like well, that's it, true too. It's very rare that somebody hits them with the move and then they pin them and they win. You know, it's very rare. They'll they'll like one guy hits them with the other guy's move and then the other guy does the same thing back to him. And neither one of them, it doesn't, you know, it just levels it out and nothing ever happens, you know. But you want the move to be special. You want it to be his move. Now, if, if Brock is using the right... Well, I, it's, a, it's supposed to be an insult, you know. It's like, I'm going to beat you with your own move type of thing. I mean, I I get the psychology of that, but, I, but like, if it never really works, then it just, at a certain point, it's like every time they do it, it's just, a, to me, it's wasted. It's a wasted move. Because if I see, like, you know... 
if somebody did the curb stop to Seth Rollins or something like that, I wouldn't, I, well, maybe that's a little extreme, you know, but you know, I just wouldn't expect them to win because it never happens. It just never yeah. happens. I don't know. I just, I'm not a fan of it. But leave it to Taz, who then immediately coins it the Brock Bottom. <laughs> yeah, I, I love mean, that. Though. He just, yeah, he's like, oh, that's that's, that's the Brock Bottom. You think and, that was planned, or did that did that just hit him? Oh, I'm sure that one was in the book. I'm sure that was that was there at the Brock bottom because you never know. They may have thought that might catch on and be actually, you know, become a, a move for them or something. Yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah. Um now Brock ends up winning, finally hits him with the uh the F5, you know, which and which he only had to hit him with one, right? Which is which to me I like because I think it's too often these days where guys are now having to use their finisher two, three times in a big match. And I think the finisher should be the finisher. Like if well, you call the finisher for a reason, right? I mean, if he hits the rock, if he hits the, 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 the F five, that's it. It's done. I mean, it should be. And so he, he hits the F five and he gets them and, and he gets the win. Um, I was thinking about The Rock because he does do the people's elbow in this, or he tries to. I think he gets cut off. Uh, but he does go through the routine at least. And I was thinking, I'm like, this guy must not buy very expensive elbow pads because every time he does this, he's throwing one out into the crowd. Well, I mean, come now, on. I think Rock could afford elbow pads. I know, but I, I think they just don't look well they don't look like they're nice pads either i was looking how at much them, could they cost a hundred dollars even well that's a no i i would hope not I, whatever well, he's I mean, whatever he's wearing are not hundred dollar pads i know that much i, I mean, mean like millionaires so he's throwing out, that's like you know us throwing out a buck i guess i guess but anyway you know but yeah we we talked about it before yeah the the people's elbow is one of the more ridiculous moves Ever yeah. because it's just an elbow, and all he does is run her back and forth in the ring, which then gives the person time to recuperate. Well, and the thing is, it's not like it builds up momentum for the elbow because no. he comes to a dead no. stop right before he before he drops. Then he, yeah, it. then he does the little dance thingy. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so but, it could be the the goofiest move for any like hall of fame champion the problem is i mean look as a wrestling fan i i i mean i like it because it's i get it it's entertaining it's different you know and everything but the problem with that i have is that when people who don't watch wrestling and that's like their first day you know every show is the first day someone is seeing right. pro wrestling okay mm -hmm. and they're gonna see this and say why the hell didn't the guy get up and move or what the hell was that why did any why of that, wasting time? Why did he, any of that make that hurt any more than it would have if he had just dropped an elbow on him? And then they just are like, "This is just ridiculous, and it's so nonsensical, and everything." And so, as a wrestling fan, you forgive all of these things, and you know, you just kind of go along with it and everything. And you know, I, I like, I like, I like the rock bottom, but I'm just saying that it's it is ridiculous at its core. Well, no, um, I like the rock bottom. I don't like yeah. the people's elbow. Can't we separate or the, the two? No, no, no. That's what I meant to say. People's elbow. People's elbow. Oh, I, okay. I, I, I misspoke. No. 
um yeah no rock bottom makes sense yeah you get slammed on your back yeah totally the the start actually boom right to the pin done right um uh, brock you know given that he was a rookie on the main roster i thought this was a fantastic match i mean for a guy who's only been on the main roster coming up from florida for about five months i mean and go main event yeah main event with the rock at SummerSlam didn't screw anything up no you know nobody got hurt and there was not some sort of like Goldberg match or anything like that I mean like he wrestled a really solid pro wrestling match absolutely yeah and at the time at 21 years old he was the youngest WWE undisputed champion in history which would never he would inevitably be dethroned by uh, Orton uh, a couple years later when he win, uh, won his title at SummerSlam against Chris Benoit. So, but that's man, it. I'm, I'm like exhausted just going over this. This this card really made us ride our emotional roller coaster. It it, it was intense. It brought it, every match, with the the minor exception of the Undertaker test. And if really, if that's the weakest match on a card, it's still yeah. Music. Again, it's not even the. It wasn't even necessarily a bad match, but man, it was stacked up against some real monster matches yeah. here. I mean, so like they, uh, it, it hurts by like comparison, right? It's just you know, you know, on another card, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have stuck out so much. But this was just like, I mean, again, we had Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle, Jericho, Ric Flair. I mean, you know, Benoit, RVD, Booker T, Booker T Goldust. Gold yes, yeah. I mean, it's it just the whole thing. All and again. Looking at, you know, Jair and the King are there, you know, calling commentary. Cole and Taz were, you know, they were all right, but they were there and it was part of the, the family at the time. All of the refs who were part of it and everything. Lillian Garcia was there. Trish Stratus was there. You know, Howard Finkel was there. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, and then, hey, the coach was there. You know, it was like, it's just, it's nice to see all of those people you know, on one show, you know, because it's like at this point in life, you know, these are people who make like random appearances and you yeah. see Trish Stratus might show up on Raw one time or whatever, but to see them all together, you know, it's like seeing, this yeah, wasn't and, like they brought back, you know, uh, no disrespect, but they didn't bring back like a middle card guy. These are all top names. Right. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like, you know, they've got, you know, like, it's like with Saturday Night Live and how the cast changes over the years. Well, that's what happens in pro wrestling. And there's certain casts, you know, from certain years that you really liked. And like, that was, you know, everyone has their favorite time of Saturday Night Live. Like that's, that's when it was good, you know? Well, I think, I think it's usually always been good, but you, you latch on to specific times sure. because they, they, they remind you of specific times in your life, or maybe you just like those particular players at, at the time. And this is another, and the, to me, this was, for me, takes me back to a time when I, again, was very new into the wrestling, you know, thing. And to see something like this was just, I mean, it just, I, I was already rocketing towards being a, gigantic fan and this only amplified it so this was a wrestlemania type level for a pay-per-view i thought i think by today's standards it is yeah Yeah. i mean like it just unfortunately i think that you know it has gotten a little watered down i mean it's not without its great matches and and some and some big main events i just don't feel like the i I don't feel the investment in things well as 
as much as I did back then. However, again, being a newer fan at the time, I was it was it was I was actually able to suspend disbelief a little bit more and get more uh, invested in the in the storylines, partially because of that too. You know, now after all these years of not just watching it, but having participated in it and knowing how the sausage is made and everything, it does change your perspective of watching it and you see it through different eyes. So I don't know that my criticism of, you know, what they're doing today is 100% valid. It's just... Well, it is valid because it's it's how you're viewing it. It's just my perspective of it. Um, But it's, uh, again, even with what they're doing today there's kids watching who think it's fantastic you know and they're growing up idolizing the current guys and it's inspiring them to want to get into pro wrestling and stuff you know it's like we saw this generation of like sasha banks and bailey and and becky lynch and all of them oh becky who grew up on uh trish stratus and lita and 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 uh you know women like them so it's like and now girl little girls are watching this roster yeah. and they're latching on to them. So uh I think it bodes well, you know, and boys, you know, I think it bodes well for the future of pro wrestling that uh, you know, kids kids are out there and you gotta remember that they're a huge part of the audience. And, you know, they may not have money to buy merch, but their parents do. You know, their parents do. Their parents can pay for the, to bring them to the shows. They can buy them shirts and belts. They they can you know get them the toys at home. So you know, sometimes you got to sit back and kind of look at it through different eyes. I think. Look, but, this is why this is why the softball that they play in Rosemont. This is why they give away a lot of tickets or or discounted prices to a lot of the kids because you get a mom and dad come in there with four or five kids that might be their friends and all that. And they're buying the T-shirts, they're buying the softballs, they're buying the hats. Yeah, and that's worth much more than the ten-dollar ticket price. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. They're way more likely to come and show up and get get you in the door if 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 you can get in for free. If you're not paying for a ticket and you're paying for a T-shirt, then you're more willing to spend that money. It is a smart move. Oh. All right, buddy. Well, this has been SummerSlam of two thousand and two. Uh, I mean, I know we. Uh, we really got into the weeds on this, uh, but it just really was, uh, I think, a good pay-per-view for us to start this with. Um, and uh, we'll, uh, you know, we'll see where, where we go next with the next uh, pay-per-view, but it can be from any time, any period. Uh, and when we uh, feel like we've got one that we really uh, want to sit down and explore, we will be back with another episode. Pinfalls Retro, I love it. Yeah. So. Uh, if you want to uh, follow us, um, the uh, Pinfalls is going to be a, is Pinfalls Retro is available on uh, Spotify underneath the Johnji or else banner. Uh, but it's also going to be available on Johnji's. What is it? Johnji's beat on YouTube. Johnji's beat and the Everyday Fan Sports, and it'll be on YouTube. Right on, so you can watch it or you can listen to it, which by now you probably know since this is the end of the episode. But as you always say, there could be a new person listening just at this point for some reason. Well, they found us somehow. But if they found us on one, they may not know that we're on the other. There you go. All right. Well, that being said, for Pinfalls Retro, I have been who else but Tommy else. With me as always, 
the man on the beat from johngsbeat.com, Mr. John Robloski. Thanks for listening.